Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study that we post every Sunday morning at the time that our congregation, the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, comes together to have Bible classes. Now, we know that even in the Omaha area, not everybody can be with us at that particular time. Some people have scheduling conflicts. Some people have physical impairments of one kind or another, health issues, whatever the case might be, but they do want to be in God's Word. And we know that also there are people across the country and literally around the world who study God's Word with us on a regular basis. We're thankful that we can be here with you, and we're thankful that you're there and that you want to be in God's Word, that you want to learn more. We keep emphasizing that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so the more we're in God's Word, the stronger our faith should become and remain. We're glad that we can help along that line on such a widespread basis by teaching God's Word through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, <clears throat> we encourage you to come and be with us in person as you're able to be. Our Bible classes begin at, third, at, at Sunday morning at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evening, we come back together at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to get our spiritual batteries recharged. We come back together each Wednesday evening at 6.30 for midweek Bible classes. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha, Sunny Slope Church of Christ. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Share with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally, literally everybody you can. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody turn their life around and get to heaven. What a great blessing for them and for you. Now also tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click, uh, click, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is absolutely free, always will be free. This is not just a one-time offer. It's always free. When somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week short Bible study that we call today's Bible class. It's only about 13 minutes long each day, but it's every single day, seven days a week, today's Bible class. All of that is free and always will be free. Now we're going to get back into our study from the book of Joshua. We have covered, boy, we have covered a lot of the opening books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now we're well into Joshua. And so when we look at Genesis, we look at first the creation, then we look at the flood, then we look at God beginning to develop the bloodline, beginning with Abraham, through which he will send the Savior into the world 
in fulfillment of his prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now, ultimately, through the bloodline of Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons, the nation of Israel would come forth. Now, it would that would take place over hundreds and hundreds of years, but it would happen. And then God would send Moses into Egypt because at that time, by that time, the Israelites had become prisoners, basically, slaves, basically, of the Egyptian government. And so God sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt and ultimately to the promised land. Now, that journey from Egypt to the promised land was going to end up taking about 40 years because of the weakness of faith on the part of the Israelite people, at least most of them. But when they, when they come to the border of the, of, the, uh, of, of the promised land, which was the land of Canaan, they come to the eastern bank of the Jordan River. They're ready to cross over. Now, that's where the book of Deuteronomy comes into play because the book of Deuteronomy, they're on that eastern bank of the Jordan River. And Moses, their leader up to that point, he takes that opportunity to remind them of all they have come through and all that God has done for them and also reminding them over and over again, when you go into this land, this is God's instruction for you. You either destroy the peoples there in battle or you drive them out of the country. Don't have anything to do with them because they're idol worshipers. They don't believe in God. And if you start developing relations with them and particularly intermarrying with them, then they're going to lead you away from God and into the worship of their idols, which are just objects. They're not gods. And so you either defeat them and destroy them in battle or drive them out of the land. And that land would become the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, the geographical boundaries of such for many hundreds of years to follow. Now, we're in Joshua. Joshua begins where Deuteronomy left off because of, well, because of of a sin on the part of Moses in the wilderness God, where he was taking glory for himself rather than giving it to God, on an occasion, God said, you know, you're not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. Now, he did allow Moses to lead the people all the way up to that borderline, but, and he allowed Moses to, to come up onto a mountain and look into the land, but he did not allow him to enter into that land. And so God took him and buried him in a place where nobody else knew. Now, that's not to say Moses was not forgiven of that sin, but God was simply emphasizing, and it was a, it was a you know, visual aid lesson, a, mighty, a le- mighty lesson to the people of Israel and for us today that God gets the glory, not us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men, that they, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now we're to do all to God's glory. That should be our bottom line goal 
and aim in life is to live our lives to God's glory. Joshua then, by God's instruction, has the mantle of leadership passed from Moses onto him. And so as Moses dies, as the people are ready to cross the Jordan River and begin the conquest of the land of Canaan and make it the land of Israel, well, God would make it the land of Israel. He'd promised it to their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. Then Joshua becomes that leader. In Joshua chapter 5, we saw where after they had crossed the Jordan River, the first battle was for the city of Jericho. It's different than from what we are used to in, in our land today here in the United States of America and also in the world for the most part. We have nations. Well, it was very common in the culture of those days and in that area of the world that there would be basically what we might call city-states. And so you'd see the land of Canaan, but you had a whole bunch of different peoples of different, of different uh, uh, ethnic groups, so to speak, living in that land, each of them having their own section and being basically a nation in and of themselves. They would have city-states where a city would be the center of basically a small nation, what we would consider a small nation today. Now, you're talking about small by comparison of what we're used to seeing on the, on the global map today, but that was basically the, the situation in a great, great many cases in the culture of the world at that time, and particularly in that area of the world. Now, so they went across the Jordan River, Joshua led them across, and they, we, they ended up fighting a battle within the city boundaries of Jericho, but they did not have to breach the walls. They did not have to lay the city under siege. They did not have to fire arrows over the walls because God caused the walls to fall. And so we looked at that, that account in, in chapter 5 of, of Joshua, the book of Joshua. And so God instructed Joshua, you lead the army around the city every day one time. And then the seventh day, you lead the, you lead the army around the city seven times. And then blow, have, you have certain ones, blow the ram's horns, and God caused the walls to topple. And then the army, the, the soldiers, the warriors, simply rushed into the city, and any defenders that were left standing, then they, they defeated. They destroyed the city. Now, they were not to take any, any of the booty, basically. They were not to take any gold or silver uh, for themselves, individually, as individual warriors. So the city of Jericho was destroyed. Now, in chapter 7, and, and the city of Jericho was a mighty city. It was, it was a big city. It was fortified by, you know, massive walls. It had a strong army defending it, I think we're to understand. But God gave them the victory. He caused those walls to fall. Someone might say, and trying to, to reason it out from a somewhat 
scientific or technical perspective and saying, well, those horns, they must have caused sound waves that, that really caused the mortar within the bricks or the stones, whatever was used in the construction of those walls, to fracture and crumble. And ultimately, the, the, the wall, the structure itself could not bear the walls. They just fell down. That is a lot of, a, a lot of, of unfaithful or weak, faith, weak in faith reasoning. God caused the walls to fall. God did it. He did not need sound waves to cause that to happen. He did not need the walls to have been constructed for so long and so and such a shoddy matter, manner that, that all of a sudden they just didn't bear the weight anymore. No, God gave Israel the victories. He promised to give Israel the victories over all of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, the promised land. God did it. We don't need to try to, to find somehow some supposed or pseudo-scientific explanation for why what happened happened. No, God made it happen. That's the long and the short of it. Okay, so we come to chapter 7, though, and we see a completely different scenario because of sinfulness on the part of a few individuals. Jericho has fallen a mighty city. Now the army of Israel comes to the city of Ai. Chapter 7, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now this is interesting. We're not talking about all of the Israelite warriors taking forbidden booty or, uh, you know, taking treasures or whatever from the, from the destruction of Jericho. We're talking about a small number of men. You know, the accursed things for Achan, Achan. And so he took that, and his family apparently allowed him to keep them there. Those things that they were forbidden to take as, you know, kind of uh, the booty of the, from the battle, you know, the, the, you know, whatever you can, you can take, you can, you can have that they were forbidden from doing that and at least certain things. But now he took, obviously, I think we're to understand he saw things that looked like they were valuable. And so there was that lust of the eye that we read about in second uh, in, in in first John chapter two and verses fifteen through seventeen, and so he let the devil sway his thinking there, and he took that, took it for himself and his family, hid it among his household. Well, so verse two. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Of course, there's not there's no hiding anything from God. And so God saw exactly what Achan had done, and it says there again that the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, someone might say, well, why would God bring judgment upon the, the whole army because of one man's sin? 
Well, it was ultimately not just the sin of one man. It was the sin of his whole family because they allowed him to keep, you know, those spoils of war, so to speak, as a lot of people would have considered it. And But God, he wanted to get a message across, <laughs> a message of true faithfulness, steadfastness. You might call it a message of purity. You don't allow this to happen, not just within your family. You don't allow this to happen within the nation. Now, verse 2, again, Joshua chapter 7. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. So Joshua sends spies out to check out, survey the land of Ai. Again, you were talking about another city-state. And they would certainly, that city would control area around it for some distance, but the center would be right there in the city of Ai. And so the spies come back and they say, look, uh, you don't, we don't need the whole army. You don't need to send the whole army up there uh, and, and you know, weary them going through a battle that is unnecessary for most of them. It's a small place. Not that many, not that many people there. The population is relatively small. Just send two or three thousand men, and we can take the city. And so Joshua does that. But verse four says, uh, about three thousand men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. So he sends three thousand warriors, which should have been more than sufficient to take the city. But instead, the men of Ai defeated them, and they ran. Now, that must have really been disheartening for the rest of the army and the people of Israel. So verse 5 goes on and says, The men of Ai struck down about 36 men. Now, you might say, out of 3,000, 36 men, that's not all that many, is it? But it's the, it's, it's the sense of the matter. They took the much larger, much mightier city and much stronger army of Jericho. And here they come to this small place. And that small number of men, they basically rout those 3,000 Israelite soldiers. They, they kill 36. But it's, it's the message that comes across, the sense of the thing. And so they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So it's not just they held them out of the gates of the city or beat them from before the walls of the city. They chased them down. They made them run. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. What's happened here? What's happened to us? How could those few 
men, by comparison, kill 36 of our soldiers. How could they make our army of 3,000 run? We are the people of God. What happened? Why did it happen? Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes, and that would be a sign of mourning or grief. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant, until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, that is the Jordan River. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Joshua was lamenting. We have been, our army has showed cowardice, showed weakness. It would have been better if we had just stayed on the other side of the Jordan River and never come into this land. This defeat by this small group of people against 3,000 of our warriors, the people of the rest of the land are going to hear about it, and it's going to embolden them, and they're going to destroy us. They're going to destroy us. He's understanding. He's thinking ahead. He's looking at the big picture. And then, what will you do for your great name? In other words, I think we can understand Joshua saying, we will have let you down. We should have glorified you, but we will have let you down. Well, verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Again, there's no hiding from God. A person can go into the deepest, darkest pit, cover it up, as thoroughly as he might be able to imagine being able to do. But God sees it all. He sees to the depths of that pit, wherever that individual is. No shade of darkness can keep God's eyes from piercing through and seeing what's going on, what a person is doing. And so God tells Joshua, get up off the ground. Israel has sinned. It's interesting that he includes the full identity of Israel in the guilt of the sin of Achan and his family. Now, again, the message is you are to be a holy people. You are to be God's people. Now, today, it's the church 
that is spiritual Israel. We are to be a holy people. Peter talks about that. He writes about that. We are to be set apart from the world in essence as far as our identity, our, our ultimate identity is concerned. Second Corinthians chapter 6, the last several verses. We are to be a people that shine forth the light of godliness and Christianity through Jesus Christ. What God was trying to get across to Joshua and through him to the nation of Israel is you as a people cannot tolerate the sin of this one man and his family. You cannot let it go on. You cannot it not let it escape judgment, my judgment. So, verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they had become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Now a whole lot of people, they want to let things go. You'll have churches. They will tolerate sin within the camp. This is what we're seeing here in the case of the Israelite camp at the defeat of Ai, at the defeat from Ai. They want to let things go a lot of times. We're human, we're human beings. Okay, well, you know, that's not so bad. Well, is it sin? Is it ungodly? Should we let that stand? God says to Joshua, no, no, the nation cannot let this stand. Cannot let this stand. It has to be dealt with forthrightly. So that therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, God says, because there's sin in the camp. And this cannot be tolerated, cannot be let go. So in other words, I was not there giving them the victory. In fact, we might even think God in some way allowed the soldiers of Ai to chase the Israelite army away. Verse 13, God goes on with his instruction to Joshua. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to, their, to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. God's going to give the guidance in pointing out and identifying the sinner. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Wow, 
Would that stand today in the culture of our country with our present-day cultural thinking? Why, people would be appalled. Why would God say such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Why would he expect us to do such a thing? You see, our nation is, has slipped farther and farther away from God. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes to the tribe of Judah, by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Now imagine this was a massive gathering of people. As we've emphasized repeatedly through these first six books, well, going back to Exodus chapter 1, from Exodus chapter 1, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now Joshua, we're talking about a nation of people here, probably one to three million people strong. So Joshua calls the nation before, tribe by tribe, and God is giving the guidance. The tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now, you see, God was pointing out in a process, he was pointing out tribe by tribe, family by family, man by man, who had transgressed his law. Achan was identified. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. Well, he admitted it. He had, been, he had been singled out by God. And at least he admitted it openly, said what it was, where it was. And these were things that God had told Joshua and the army of Israel before they went up against Jericho. These were things God said, you do not take any of these things for yourselves. Achan directly disobeyed God and thereby sinned and put the whole army in jeopardy as a result. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. This was a judgment scene. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, 
his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Now you see, a whole lot of people have an arrogant, selfish mindset. They think, I can do what I want to do. It's my life. But they don't stop and consider the collateral damage that their ungodly lifestyle can bring upon others. And so here is the whole household of Achan having to pay a price for his sins. Now, probably, I don't think we can be dogmatic, but I suspect it's most probable that his family knew what he had done. And they did not say anything to Joshua. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now, stoning was a common form of execution among the nation of Israel in that day. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day, the text says, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now, again, a whole lot of people in our culture today would say that was, that, that, that was obsessive, that was overbearing, that was barbaric, that was way overdone. But they're making all those charges against God. God gave the instructions. And we need to understand that we should not tolerate sin. We should not give it a wink and a nod. We should not act like it's okay. 36 men lost their lives in that battle because of the sins of Achor. Collateral damage, collateral effect upon others, his family ultimately lost their lives as well. God wants us to be, as his true followers, a holy people. We'll pick up with chapter 8 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word to guide us. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for blessing us to be able to be forgiven of our sins through Jesus Christ as we come to you through him in baptism for the remission of our sins, having repented and confessed our faith in him. Help us, Father, to continue to search your word always and to learn and embrace your truth that you want us to be a holy people. And that means faithful, Father, and to live righteous lives before you. Please, we pray for your patience, your wisdom, your guidance, your mercy, Father. Please, we pray. And please forgive us, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.